You're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD. This episode is brought to you by Greenwich Biosciences, the U.S. leader in the field of cannabinoid prescription medicines. The content of this podcast is intended for U.S. healthcare professionals only. Your host is Dr. Jennifer Caudle, and she'll be joined by Dr. Elaine Wuerl. Here's Dr. Caudle now. Dravet syndrome is a severe form of epilepsy that begins in infancy and has lasting impacts on a patient throughout their entire life. Because of this, it's essential that we stay up to date on the latest diagnostic and management strategies. And who better to walk us through these essential strategies than a world-renowned speaker on Dravet syndrome, who we'll be hearing from today. Welcome to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Cottle, and joining me today is Dr. Elaine Worrell. She serves as both the Director of Pediatric Epilepsy, as well as the Director of the Child and Adolescent Neurology Residency Training Program at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Worrell, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, we're excited that you're here. So why don't we start, Dr. Worrell, by doing some level setting for our audience. Can you tell us more about what Dravet syndrome is and what causes it? Sure. So Dravet syndrome is a relatively rare form of childhood epilepsy, but it's not as rare as some people think. There was a study actually in California that looked at all of the patients in the Kaiser Permanente region and found that it was about one in 16,000 children. So rare, but not so rare. And it is an epilepsy that is quite severe. It starts in the first typically 20 months, often in the first year of life. The children generally are developmentally normal before the seizures start. And then the seizures start and the seizures are drug resistant, meaning that they don't respond well to the usual anti-seizure medicines. It is a syndrome that is lifelong. So these patients suffer from lifelong epilepsy. I had mentioned they're developmentally normal initially, but over time, typically by the late preschool years, we see that the children are not gaining the level of development that you would expect. And so by adolescence and adulthood, essentially all of them have variable degrees of intellectual disability. And then there's other problems that can go along with that as well. But predominantly, it's the very challenging seizures and in early life, recurrent episodes of status epilepticus. As far as what causes it, it is a genetic epilepsy. It's due to a pathogenic variant in a gene called the SCN1A gene. And it's important that there are other genetic changes in that SCN1A gene, and only some of them actually lead to Dravet syndrome. There are more severe mutations that lead to Dravet. The less severe ones can lead to a type of epilepsy called genetic epilepsy with febrile seizures plus. But if we look at kids with Dravet syndrome, more than 80% of those children will be found to have a more severe pathogenic variant in the SCN1A gene. And what signs and symptoms make you suspicious of the possibility of Dravet syndrome in a child? So it's a pretty characteristic presentation. And I think us as child neurologists, it's really important that we recognize that. And so typically, as I had said, it's a child who previously is neurologically and developmentally normal. And the seizures almost always start in the first year of life, occasionally up to 20 months, but most of them in the first year. And a typical presentation is a prolonged seizure that occurs with fever. Oftentimes, it's a prolonged hemiconvulsive seizure, meaning that it affects one side of the body. And then over time, what we see is those seizures recur. And so one of the very characteristic features is that they switch sides. So you might have a prolonged right-sided hemiconvulsive seizure at five months, and then at seven months, you have it now affecting on the left side. 
And fever and hyperthermia are very, very strong um, triggers for the seizure. So some of these kids, after they get their vaccination and develop fever as a result of that, it's not caused by the vaccine, but it's triggered by the fever that is a reaction to the vaccine, or children who have some type of a viral illness and have a fever or sometimes even children that are in a warm environment or put into a warm bath, that can be a trigger for their seizures. Interesting. So once you notice these symptoms, Dr. Worrell, what diagnostic tools and best practices do you use to confirm your suspicions? So the way that we make the diagnosis is with genetic testing. Most of these children, if we look at their imaging studies or their EEGs, those are not terribly helpful. The MRI studies are typically normal. The EEGs may show some discharges, but again, it's not specific. They can show some generalized discharges or focal discharges or sometimes just slowing after a seizure, or sometimes they can be normal. So what we do is we look for a pathogenic variant in the SCN1A gene, and that is done in most cases now with an epilepsy gene panel. You can do a specific test looking at SCN1A in particular, but now most people are really doing those genetic panels. Okay, excellent. For those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Cottle, and I'm speaking with Dr. Elaine Worrell about Dravet syndrome. So Dr. Worrell, we were just speaking about diagnostic strategies for Dravet syndrome, but now let's shift our focus and talk about treatment options. So what does the treatment landscape look like? So the treatment landscape is actually changing as we speak, and it's actually a very exciting time for clinicians and also for families whose loved ones have Dravet because we've seen a lot of advances in this field. Just a couple of years ago, we looked at, you know, what should be the first treatments. And typically, traditionally, what's been the first treatments are a combination of either clobazam or valproic acid. But we know that even with that combination, still more than 50% of children do not really get a significant reduction in their seizures and so continue to have fairly frequent seizures despite that. There have now been three recently approved medications by the FDA, Epidiolex, Steripental, and most recently, Fenfluramine. So those have all, I think, changed the treatment landscape. Okay. And what are some promising research areas? Are there any potential treatments in the pipeline that you're excited about? There are. Because we know the gene and we know what this gene does, there's now a couple of therapies that are being looked at, one of them in clinical trials. And the clinical trial is something called an antisense oligonucleotide. And that really targets the SCN1A and it increases the amount of protein production. So it corrects the haploinsufficiency of the SCN1A protein and restores normal protein levels. That has been shown actually in animal models to be effective and importantly also reduces the mortality risk because in the clinical model as well as in animal models, we see fairly high mortality. And in animal models, the treatment with the antisense oligonucleotide actually rescued that mortality. So that's very exciting. Currently, that agent is in clinical trials, so we'll see how well it works in children. Excellent. And finally, Dr. Worrell, since a patient with Dravet syndrome is cared for by a multidisciplinary team, what are some strategies the team can use to improve patient care? Yeah, so I think when we focus on children with Dravet syndrome, and this really goes to all children with early onset drug-resistant epilepsy, I think we really need to focus on the whole child. So certainly seizures are very, very important, and we spend a lot of effort on trying to reduce seizures. But we also want to be sure that we are focusing on not over-treating that child, and so trying to avoid unnecessary polypharmacy. All of our anti-seizure medicines have potential for side effects, so we really want to choose them 
medicines that are working best. And in children with Dravet syndrome, most of them need to be on more than one medication, but we want to minimize excessive numbers of medication and excessive side effects. The other things that's really important is to focus on some of the non-seizure symptoms of Dravet syndrome. And those are things like cognitive delays, behavior problems. Over time, many of these children develop gait disorders. So they kind of have a bit of a crouched gait and then sleep disorders. And so really having a multidisciplinary team who can address those issues as well and make sure that the child is really set up to succeed at school. This is obviously a big concern for families, a very life-changing diagnosis for families. And so family support and particularly sibling support is really important. And so involving social work, and there's also great organizations. There's something called the Dravet Syndrome Foundation that is very, very supportive to families who are receiving this diagnosis and also a really good place for families to stay in touch to know sort of what are the up and coming treatments for that. Excellent. Well, those are some very helpful strategies for us to think on and implement as we come to the end of today's program. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Elaine Worrell, for joining me to discuss Dravet syndrome. Dr. Worrell, it was great having you on the program. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be there. This episode of NeuroFrontiers was sponsored by Greenwich Biosciences, the U.S. leader in the field of cannabinoid prescription medicines. To access other episodes in this series, visit ReachMD.com slash NeuroFrontiers, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.